From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Friday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number to dial is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. And uh, that'll get you in to the program. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the show. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, magnificent person handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is here every Friday, our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Are, Are you now? Uh, I am, even oh. though it's a increasingly hot season we're into. Yeah, it's getting that way. It rained here uh, pretty uh, uh, voraciously yesterday, mm-hmm. um, but it's a little bit better today. It's supposed to be beautiful over the weekend, so that'll be a lovely thing. Um, so uh, it's June as of yesterday, as of Wednesday. As of Wednesday. Yeah. As of Wednesday. It's now June 3rd. June is the month of the Sacred Heart, uh, which brings to mind people like St. Francis de Sales and uh, the like, right. St. Margaret mm-hmm. Mary Alacoque, mm-hmm. uh, obviously a member of the order that he and uh, he and St. James de Chantel uh, found their it, order. Right. And uh, so you were going to perhaps wax poetically on the... Month of the Sacred Heart and mm-hmm. all of all that it entails. Yeah, I don't know if I will do it in verse. However, uh, <laughs> although I entertain my daughter sometimes with my rhymes, <laughs> but um, yeah, I it's a, it's an important month because for about almost uh, heading towards three hundred years, uh, we've had the revelation of the of the Sacred Heart, and private revelation is sometimes the way that God introduces to the church not a new idea, but puts before the church something that is already contained in divine revelation. And here is the idea of the Sacred Heart. Um, The Sacred Heart as being representative of the divine and human love of the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ. So, it's it's an important it's an important title it's an important feast day and this we're having Pentecost and it will be followed 
shortly uh, by, by the Feast of the Sacred Heart and of the Immaculate Heart as well. And so the consideration there is not to have a dry and intellectual understanding of God's love for us, by which the Father sent the Son to redeem us and save us from our sins and to open the gates of heaven for us to enter, but to understand that in a fully incarnational way, that the human heart, at least in all of our literature and expressions of the matter, uh, is a symbol of human love. And God's love for us is just not is is not only divine and in that way, you know, seemingly distant from us, but it is near us and close to us as much as the love of our family and friends, only, you know, infinitely greater than that love. And so the human heart is an important way of conceiving the incarnational love of God by which the Son came to redeem us. And so during this month, we can think of that. Uh, I think to take part in Sacred Heart devotions is an important way to live that. Uh, to have the Sacred Heart image in your home. In fact, there is an enthronement ceremony for the Sacred Heart image that can be, uh, can be used. Um, uh, I'm not sure where I think in, in the Book of Blessings. or in, in there, there are places where that is to be found, and a, and a priest could do that for you. And the idea being that you make the Sacred Heart of Jesus the center of your home. And many people who have obviously a great love for Our Lady will do that in conjunction with an image of the Immaculate Heart of Mary as well. So that these two individuals, both of them human but one of them divine, who cooperatively in Mary's case, but intentionally and willingly chose in the case of Our Lord to undertake this mission of redemption, that we honor them together. As had Adam and Eve not sinned, I think we would be honoring our first parents as well as the mother and father of the human race. We can honor our Lord and Our Lady as the progenitors of all of the redeemed, and the Church does that, even giving to her the name of Mother of, mother of the Church. So that's what this month is about. We have many Marian months, of course. We just had one in May. But here we focus in on the central mystery of the faith, and that is Christ and his love. And all that that love, representing the love of the Father and the Spirit as well, obviously, all that that love did in saving us. Um, and the beautiful sacred, beautiful sacred heart images are a way to, to honor that divine and human love in our homes and to be constantly reminded as we go about our daily business of, of this great mystery and never having it far from our thoughts. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, sometimes these, these things can, you know, there's a mysterious component to all of this that we'll never understand in this life, but I think sometimes we make it more mysterious maybe even than it is. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about, you know, with regard to the, the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart, and, and talk about our Lord and His Mother and how really their hearts beat as one, she through her complete and total uh giving of herself to the Father and her Son and her complete transformation because of that attitude, mm -hmm. and he out of absolute love for his mother. Right, yeah, and, and there's been a couple of, of different theological approaches to, to explaining that relationship. Uh, you can certainly go all the way back to eternity, as, as I commonly do in this subject matter uh, here on the program, 
and to see that God could not have foreseen and intended the incarnation without foreseeing intended the mother <laughs> through whom the incarnation would come, and certainly in the context of the redemption. And historically, there have been different schools of theology on whether Christ would become incarnate anyway, and of course, then the question would be who would have been his mother. And I think we could say the same. Because the Lord prepared and disposed her for that vocation, as he does every individual, and we have to think about that, that each of us are called to do certain things in this life, to have certain responsibilities to family and so on. And when we tend to take them willingly, of course, we can you know, push off and say, well, God, I'm not interested in that and go do our own thing. But if we undertake them willingly and we're following the inspirations of God uh, insofar as we know that they are from him, then we can expect the graces of vocation and the ability to fulfill what his intention is for us. And that's a very important thing, not just for the life of Our Lady, but also for every single person in the world, especially for believers. And so this is what Our Lady did. She had a unique mission, as Eve had a unique mission. So the fathers of the church called her the new Eve for that reason. And so she was capacitated by her immaculate conception, not having original sin, and then capacitated by the actual graces of her vocation to be the mother of the Word incarnate and her vocation to accompany him throughout his public life and ministry and his death and resurrection and ascension uh, to accompany him in that redemptive role. And so she had the graces for that from God. It's not that she did it on her own or she had, you know, a brilliant intellect or a strong will. What she had was a gift of God, and he gave her that gift to enable her to do it, and she did it cooperatively, and so the merit is hers for that cooperation. And these two together, and we see that we can see that also as a paradigm of Christ himself without fail in his human nature, accepting the will of the Father even to the last, and doing what was necessary to accomplish the will of the Father. And Our Lady did that likewise. And they are our models of, of holiness and of following, following the Son, following Christ. You know, he is the one without whom none of this could have been done, obviously. But if we need a model of how to be the one who follows faithfully, that is Our Lady. And the Church holds her up in that role. And, and we should imitate her virtues uh, in order that we can fulfill our role in our daily lives and in our Christian life. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, Michael McCall, producer man extraordinaire, gave me this beautiful piece of paper to read right now and I didn't have it ready, so now I do. We got a brand spanking new book <laughs> in EWTN's religious catalog. It's called How to Be a Superman Dad in a Kryptonite World by John Clark. Uh, Father's Day is Sunday, June 19th, and this will be a great gift uh, for dads and and 
any dads to be that you might know in this book. Um, the uh, homeschooling father, John Clark, amuses and inspires with his observations of family life and the joys of being a dad. He's a husband and father of nine, and his topics uh, covered, uh, well, he, he covers just about the, the gamut here, and he makes the world's... <laughs> He makes the words dance off the pages. This this was not written by John Clark. John, if John Clark had written this himself, I would be able to read the the gift. But he is a talented writer. He's just a, he's just a wonderful human being. Uh, for anybody who may have have had the opportunity to meet him down through the years, but this is a great book. How to be a Superman Dad in a Kryptonite World by John Clark. It's available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping right now of online orders of $75 or more. Standard shipping in the continental United States only. Use the code FREE at checkout. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Are you in, Colin? I am in. All right. Glad I could be of assistance. Stealing Wi-Fi from my uh, partner in crime here. (laughs) First up today is John driving through the Republic of Texas, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. John, you're on with Colin Donovan. Thanks. Uh, Hi, Colin. Uh, My question for you is, since Divine Mercy Sunday, I've been reading uh, St. Faustina's diary. Mm -hmm. And and in the diaries... um, and, and of course, she was. She writes that she was requested to do this by mm-hmm. her spiritual director uh, to underline. And in the in the printed edition of the diaries, it's all bolded in, in bold font. Um, the words of Jesus speaking directly to Saint Faustina, and mm-hmm. sometimes words, I guess, that are attributed, um, you know, as words of of the Lord through her confessor or spiritual director. And, you know, she's she's been sainted, and we have Divine Mercy Sunday since uh, St. John Paul II right. established that. But what does the Church instruct with respect to these bolded statements that are in, in her notebooks and her diary? Um, what are we—how are we to take those um, as the words of the Lord? Well, there, it's it's not public revelation, so the believability there is not the uh, believability of faith. In other words, by theological faith, uh, the, the grace of uh, faith that we receive in our baptism, we believe all we believe in God, and we believe that all that God has revealed is is taught by the by the Church. Uh, and that's the extent of the obligation by the virtue of faith. And we talk about heresy and other things in the context of what the Church has said is revealed by God, uh, and not on theological points and many, many, many other matters. What we have here is a reasoned credibility because the Church has reviewed these writings and not found anything contrary to faith and morals, and have found further that the devotional practices and the and the ideas represented in there are not uh, contrary to anything of the faith, and therefore they have the highest reason credibility simply by virtue of the fact that at the highest levels of the church now uh, that this has been taken seriously. Uh, we know that as a result of this uh, uh, revelations and 
which uh, John Paul II knew of already as the Archbishop of Krakow, that the church, he has a, he has affirmed the truth of this, established the uh, Mercy Sunday, and established the Mercy Devotion for Mercy Sunday. Now, those establishments are very important because what they do is they put on a firm basis by clearly divine authority, because we know that papal authority is from God, and gives the weight of that authority behind those practices. Mercy Sunday is part of the liturgical life of the Church now. Uh, The mercy devotions and so on uh, have the sanction of the Church. Uh, the indulgence uh, the, or the, uh, the grace of Mercy Sunday is now also the indulgence that can be earned on Mercy Sunday. So here are a case where private revelation has been established, uh, given an established basis in the church. And when Jack and I were talking in the first part of the show, this was what happened with the Sacred Heart in terms of eventually you have the, the feast day and it's a universal feast day and it's not only universal feast day, it's now a solemnity and it has the highest approbation and continuously by the Church and the popes uh, now for a, a long time. Now, when you get down into the, the text of the things, what can be said about it? Uh, it can be said that there's nothing contrary to faith and morals there. That simply means that one can understand it according to the teachings of the Church. So those so-called bolded texts attributed to Jesus— uh, we would have to say that perhaps I don't under it seems maybe something strange to me, but perhaps I don't understand it. But there's a way to understand that consistent with the church's teaching. Um, and so every Catholic can be confident that they're not, uh, you know, if they're trying to get to that understanding, they're, they're reading the thing, they're understanding it in the context of church teaching, uh, they're asking questions where they don't understand it, and they're continuously trying to, uh, to understand it, uh, then that they're doing a good thing by reading it and trying to incorporate this, this concept of the importance of the divine mercy, which is given for our time. Now, that element given for our time is extremely important. Because in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in paragraph 66, so early on in the Catechism, where it talks about the public revelation and the obligation that we have to that, this is sacred scripture and sacred tradition, uh, obviously what the Church has confirmed by its authority as being part of that deposit of the faith, uh, even when it represents theological developments, such as the Assumption and the Immaculate Conception and so on, that in addition to that, there are private revelations, which the Church sorts through. It throws out the chaff, or it judges the chaff, or maybe it just ignores the chaff. But there are some which are approved, such as Divine Mercy, such as the apparitions at Fatima, Lourdes, uh, Barreau and Barang in Belgium, and you go down the list of, of the approved uh, apparitions, and you can identify those private revelations that the Church has said. There's something here. Um, it's not of the faith, but the Church lends her own credibility to this, having reviewed it and judged it. Uh, and so that's important. And in the following paragraph, 67, talking about private re- revelation, it notes that the faithful know how to use this, the sensus fidelium. In other words, you might call it the spiritual and theological common sense of Catholics, 
such that we still have it in this world, <laughs> but such that we still have it, uh, is able to discern how to use these in the application. They're given for a particular time. I think that's important because the time of the divine mercy that comes from that apparition is now, just as with Fatima was the 20th century and even now into the 21st century. So if I had to point to two private revelations which were given for our time and for universal attention within the church in our time and indeed within the world, it would be Fatima and Sister Faustina and the Divine Mercy. I would say a Catholic who's not getting anything out of that and say, oh, I don't need this, is really ignoring the advice of the church. The Catholic who maybe they question some of the things, and there are Many things we could question, such as uh, she says that uh, our Lord said, before I come in my justice, people must pass through divine, the divine mercy. Well, how do we understand that? Well, the pretty common sense way of understanding this, each of us at the end of our life, if we've not got to pass through the divine mercy and been forgiven, uh, then we really only have justice waiting for us. Now, what is said of the individual is said also then of the whole world, is said of human history itself, that the world that refuses to pass through the divine mercy and seek the divine mercy will experience the divine justice. So that's a perennial message. That's the gospel. But it's the gospel given in this particular time because for some reason God thinks we needed it more than 1700s or the 1500s or the 1200s or whenever. Because he chose this time to, to do that, as he did with Fatima, uh, sending Our Lady, as she, as she herself said, my son desires devotion to the Immaculate Heart put on the level with the devotion of the Sacred Heart. And I think that's on the liturgical level. Let's have its theological place, of course, and all that can be said about that. But just the idea of the raising up of this mystery of Mary's role in the economy of salvation and the raising up of this mystery of the divine mercy, and might also say why Our Lady is particularly connected to that divine mercy because of her motherhood. These are the greatest private revelations, I believe, in history, and they are for our time. So I think uh, we need to mull them over. We have to do that in a human fashion. We may say, oh, this is too difficult. I don't get this. Well, that's fine. You're not obliged by the faith to get it. But there's something there for any individual who reads the diary or is familiar with Fatima. And they should try to find that, even if it's, well, I need to do more reparation or I need to do more adoration or I need to be more merciful to other people as one of the devotions is, the various devotions of mercy that you can do to extend to people mercy because, you know, as the Our Father says, <laughs> you know, you better forgive others. You want to be forgiven by me. So we extend mercy to others that God might extend mercy to us. So I think that's the, the way to look at it in a long-winded way. But um, there is a unity of thought between those things and the, um, and the sacred scripture and sacred tradition. Uh, they're for our time, and I think we need to at least ponder and find a place for them in our life. You don't have to be a Divine Mercy fanatic or a Fatima fanatic, as yours truly probably would be categorized. But, you know, it's there. Our Lord gave it to us. The Church has affirmed it. 
it doesn't do that lightly, and that's why we should give it weight. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Friday. Give us a call and talk to our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Well, we had full phone lines, but a couple of people could not hang through the break, so that opens up a couple lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. One of the long-suffering souls that did hang on is Marge in the great state of Minnesota, Mm -hmm. listening on Real Presence Radio. Marge, thanks for holding. You're on with Colin. Hi, Colin. Hi. Nice to speak with you today. Well, good speaking to you, too. What's your question, dear? Well, I was wondering, when I'm praying the Luminous Mysteries, Mm -hmm. the uh, mystery of the at Cana, where Jesus turns the wine into water, or the water into wine, mm-hmm. and I related the alcohol and abuse in my life, and mm-hmm. I also was brought up Catholic, and today I know that in the Bible it says to stay sober, but I don't remember being taught that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and I just wonder sure. why Jesus did that. Why, why it's that way, sure. Yeah, you know, the, the Church certainly uh, does, if, you know, if you, were, if you were, as a child, if you were getting catechized regarding the Ten Commandments, uh, you'd be talk, uh, taught what has certainly been reduced to a worldly adage that uh, moderation in all things and all things in moderation, for example. Uh, and that is that the Lord gave us the goods of the world. Uh, he gave us the grape. Um, you know, the, it said, I don't know if Noah's uh, use of wine was the first use of the fermented grape or not, but with the Bible gives us that example of uh, how he drank wine and, and uh, uh, you know, was laying around naked and his son took his cloak and backing up, he laid it all over his father to protect his dignity. So we can certainly abuse the good things of God. We can abuse eating. Uh, we can abuse our sexuality, uh, and certainly we can abuse uh, alcohol. So it's a case of the virtuous use of the things of the of the world. We have we have all of those problems, and today we have electronic devices that demand our attention. Um, you know, there are all kinds of ways to do things immoderately in our modern world, uh, and certainly one of the oldest in human history is, uh, is alcoholic beverages, whether grapes or as Northern Europe, they fermented grains and to get beers and different things. So that, that's something. And it's a question of having the virtue, uh, the virtue of temperance and seeking to achieve that, uh, to uh, attain to that. Uh, I, I think the advice of the various uh, organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous and others, uh, they're you know, one day at a time, uh, 
to always be aware of your weakness and these kinds of things is good human practical advice. But the church, neither church, the church nor God, uh, is going to take away from us good things which can be used moderately and which many hundreds of millions, I presume, and if not billions of people do use moderately, uh, but that each person, of course, must then morally guard their own senses and must morally guard their own usage uh, of everything. And it's just not, it's not just wine and beer or, or other things of that nature that are inebriating. Uh, it's, you know, all, the, all that we do in life should have this middle of virtue, this mean of virtue. Uh, and it's a struggle. So the Lord did it. He changed the water into wine for the benefit of this couple. Uh, we're not told whether any used it immoderately. Uh, I don't think I've ever been to a wedding where there wasn't one, at least one notable person who got <laughs> carried away <laughs> uh, with that. But yeah, it's it's a struggle. And uh, you certainly have uh, our prayers and I hope the prayers of our audience to overcome the difficulties in that area. Still have a couple of open lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You know, there's a great radio station in Hartford, Connecticut, WJMJ, for many, many years, decades even. They have broadcast local liturgies and things in the Hartford area, as well as uh, Christian and Catholic music down over the years. Um, But uh, four years ago... They got a new antenna, mm-hmm. and as part of that new antenna, they were given two HD channels to pair with their signal. And what did WJMJ do? They put EWTN English radio on one of those HD channels and EWTN Spanish radio on the other HD channel. That's great. So they've been with us for four years this week is the anniversary, and uh, we're very proud to partner with Steve Savino and the whole uh, group at the Archdiocese of Hartford at WJMJ Radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Sarang in South Bend, Indiana, listening on the EWTN app. Sarang, you're on with Colin Donovan. Thank you kindly. Uh, Hi, Colin. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. What's your Um, question today? uh, My question is, uh, when we have um, a message like a prophetic message given in a dream by one of one of our loved ones who is on the other side. Now, I'm not talking about the prophetic uh, messages or messages given by the Blessed Mother or sure. our Lord mm-hmm. in an apparition. Yeah. But I'm talking about a message given by one of our loved ones from the other side in a dream does that happen with that loved one knowing, or does that happen just by the power of God, that God makes that loved one come into our dream and give a certain message? Or does that loved one know that he or she is appearing to me in that dream? Sure. Well, the first question would be, you know, is it a dream, or is it something more than just a dream? Uh, the process of dreaming is, uh, you know, the they say that this is the brain sort of reorganizes itself in our in our deep sleep. 
Uh, it brings order into the things that we uh, have done and learned the day before. Uh, so it has a very natural purpose. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, a purpose beyond the natural. And the way in which dreams work, and also the way in which the church says that most visions and apparitions work, uh, apparition, apparitions work, or at least one of the ways they can work, is that the angels construct out of our own memories that which is seen and understood by, uh, by the individual. So we can think maybe in Scripture of St. Joseph, you know, being told that he should take Mary as his wife uh, and go that final step to uh, confirm, the, con- confirm the, uh, the espousal, uh, which in Judaism uh, wasn't necessary to do. And so the first question then is, was, some, what this, was this a natural event, or was it beyond that? The church always looks at those things, not with suspicion, but to get a clear idea of what is taking place. It certainly does not presume any supernaturality or any preternaturality, which would be the intervention of the angels. And we're on solid ground if we also don't assume that. I think that those who have prophetic dreams, uh, Scripture says that a time will come when, you know, uh, young men will dream dreams. I think what they probably will find out, and this is probably true in the case of the saints and maybe was true in Joseph's case, that there was something remarkable and insistent about this event that you know, sort of conferred at least subjectively the truth of it. That would be the start of it. Now, Joseph didn't have anybody around to confirm it. He understood, and uh, immediately by God's will, of course, that this was this was from God. We're not so lucky. We have to struggle to do that. So I would say you can't assume that this was a de- deceased person praying to you. I think most people... When a loved one passes, I know certainly with grandparents and parents, uh, your memories will will trigger that, uh, and not necessarily in an ordered way, as if you're watching a, a video of something event or a home home video home film that you made of that person, uh, because in sleep the the brain is not working in quite that orderly way. Um, but if it were truly prophetic and meant to be taken seriously, then I think for Catholics at least, you would seek the counsel of a priest, of your confessor. I don't think you would want to assume that this was a loved one appearing to you. Uh, At root, the answer to your question is nothing happens without God's permission in such a case, whether it's mysticism or dream or an apparition. Uh, the saints aren't freelancing and deciding they're going to go do this, or the the deceased are. Uh, one of the reasons not to assume it is, is to avoid the possibility that we engage in some kind of divination where we want our loved ones to appear to us, whether in a dream or in another, uh, another context, such as a psychic or a medium. So we have to be careful of that first commandment line of not... 
you know, seeking something which might not be from God and that would lead us astray. So I think dreams are very equivocal. And there may be something in there of value, if nothing just humanly to see, remind us of something that we can now contemplate more serenely and say, yeah, I, you know, I remember something I left undone with respect to my mom or my dad or whomever, and I can take care of that now. Uh, that needn't be supernatural or preternatural. It may simply be, you know, the brain doing what the brain does. So don't, I wouldn't jump to that conclusion is what I'm, bottom line. Thanks, Sarang. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Still time for your phone calls. Rolando is in the great state of Illinois listening at EWTN.com. Rolando, you're on with Colin Donovan. Yes, good afternoon, and uh, praise the Lord. I'm talking to you. Yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. Uh now, my question is about the, the, the declaration of Christ when he said, I will, I will rebuild this house when he was in the, the house of God, that they were, the, you know, the mm-hmm. shark loans were there, etc. And then in three days, I will rebuild it. I know what it meant. It was the church inside of us, because the church is in our heart, right? Am I correct? Huh? No, I uh, I think he was talking about his own body. He was the kingdom. He was the church. He is everything. When we say we are part of the church, we say we're mystically members of the body of Christ. He was referring to his own death and resurrection. Are we? He's, he's, we are also the church, right? When, church, when Christ is in our hearts, we are the church, right? Uh, not individually, no. Collectively, we are members of the church. We are members. The church has a head. We can't appropriate to ourselves. There are individuals in this world who speak on behalf of the whole church. Obviously, the Pope is the vicar of Christ, but Christ is the head. The priests who carry that office to assist uh, Christ in his headship by the priestly office and, and role, uh, have then a, a right to. But no, we can't claim the church. We are part of the church. We are not the church. The church is everybody who is with God in heaven, the souls are in purgatory, and the just here on earth. That is the church. It's, it's collectively the mystical body of Christ. Can I ask you, uh, with all due respect, hello? Yes, yes go right ahead. Yes, uh, because uh, I, I believe, because this Sunday is Pentecost Day. Yes. And, yes, and I believe that it, it was mentioned that we are, we belong to the body of Christ. Which and is what I just said. Yes, you're correct, that's why I'm saying it. Uh, uh, and I stand corrected. Okay. But then, uh, and uh, I believe also that the, when you are when you are filled with the Spirit, like what happened in the Pentecost, it can be that that can be a Pentecost, second Pentecost, 
in our lives, right? Well, that's true. Uh, but, you know, you started out by saying we are the church. No, we are members of Christ, and we have uh, Christ within us, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, actually, and the Holy Spirit uh, either initially at our baptism or renewed at different times in life, uh, or wh- whether we've now come finally attentive after many years of being ignoring God in us. Uh, I mean, there are all kinds of ways that there can be a blossoming of the Holy Spirit in our life. But as we are in the state of grace, he was always there. Um, and so that blossoming brings forth new fruit, certainly. Um, but it, it, like a lot of things, is noticed because of the change in us, not because of the change in God. We change because God works in us. Um, and it's remarkable to us because of the change. But the Holy Spirit was never not there if we've been in the state of grace. God bless you, Rolanda. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. So we have an email from John, and he says, Colin, how is the Catholic Church's law about so-called holy days of obligation not in direct opposition to the quote-unquote festival reference in Colossians 2.16? Does the Church pass judgment on those who do not attend Mass on those days? Uh, well, do you want me fest- to read you the you verse? You can read the verse. Yes. The verse is, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Right. All of which were Jewish practices. Uh, remember that the, the Jewish law was, uh, in the Ten Commandments, make holy the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath is the, the seventh day of the week, Saturday. Uh, and that was the day in which God rested, we're told in the book of Genesis. And that was to be observed in honor of that as a day of human rest. The church very quickly began to celebrate Sunday. So we see St. Paul go to uh, the synagogue on Saturday because he wanted to make new Christians uh, to enlighten them with regard to their Messiah come and ascend, died, resurrected, and ascended. But then they broke bread, which is a euphemism which survived for hundreds of years in the church for the Holy Eucharist. They did that on Sunday. They came together uh, as the church on Sunday. And so... For Christians, Sunday, the day of the resurrection, the day of the recreation, the day in which Christ rose from the dead, uh, anticipating our own general resurrection, this is the day that the church very quickly started celebrating as the Christian Sabbath. As a consequence of that, in its interpretive office, which we see exercised in the Acts of the Apostles when it decided the application of the Mosaic Law to Gentiles coming into the church, Uh, The church interpreted the Sabbath to be Sunday for the Christian, and therefore the fact that there was an obligation to some Sunday uh, as a thanksgiving, because it's what Eucharist means, uh, began very early. Now, what we have today, of course, it's a little bit more clearly stated in the canon law and so on as as a legal document, if you will, uh, that Christians have this obligation, but it's an obligation that falls away for many reasons. You're sick, you're traveling, uh, you're snowed in, 
Um, you have to care for somebody. So it's, it's not an obligation which, you know, should crush us. Because like the Sabbath, Sunday is to worship God, but it's also for man, a day of rest. And so something such as, well, I have to pl- get through, you know, snow for an hour and a half to go to Mass. No, we don't have to do that. Or I've got to get out of my sick bed to go. No, we don't have to do that. We don't have to be crushed by the obligation. But if there is no reason why we can't worship God on Sunday in the very act that he said at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me, and which represents his creating salvific and redeeming and sanctifying and glorifying work, then we're pretty ungrateful people. This is why the church does indeed insist that barring the kinds of physical and moral impossibilities such as I described, we should be going to Mass on Sunday. We're obliged to go to Mass on Sunday. And if we just blow it off, say, ah, I don't want to go. I have something better to do this Sunday. Then that's a sin. And it's a serious obligation, so it's a serious sin, a mortal sin. That's the character of the church's law, and it flows from the nature of the day itself, and it has all the merciful implications that we would hope that it would have for those who cannot, for one reason or another, satisfy it. Because the law should not crush, and that's why it's, uh, you know, to quench the wick and to, to um, crush the reed. So Christ doesn't try to do that. The church doesn't try to do that. But uh, we do try to pay our debt or at least show our gratitude in the Eucharist on Sunday. Uh, be sure to check out Light of the East Radio this Sunday morning. Father Thomas Loya uh, from uh, uh, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in the Chicagoland area uh, has a great program. Uh, you know, Pope John Paul II often talked of the church breathing with two lungs, the East and the West. And he's going to talk this week about Eastern Spirit. Well, that's the time. He's going to talk about the Spirit of Truth. Mm-hmm. And that's at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning, right here on EWTN Radio. Um, next up is John in Tulsa, Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. John, you're on with Cowan Donovan. Hello, hello, how are you? Oh, pretty good, John. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm a long-time listener. I actually never called in, but I'm just, you know, Christian and different mm-hmm. than Catholics and that I'm Protestant, I know, and Pentecostal, uh, a little bit more uh, info there. But I was listening to when you were saying, Phil, with the Spirit, is mm-hmm. I think you said when you're baptized. Yes. And so my question was, um, in the Book of Acts, and when they were there were those believers that hadn't yet been filled with the Spirit, and they went and laid hands on them to receive the Spirit. Um, what, I guess, the Catholic uh, interpretation of that is? The Catholic interpretation is that by baptism we enter into the passion, death, of resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are set, stood up, as it were, use more of a secular term, you stand up a business or stand up a institution. So we, we are stood up as Christians by our baptism because we're conformed to Christ and we're made, uh, we're made to look like Christ through his passion, death, and resurrection. This is when grace is given to us. Now, at 
Confirmation is compared uh, is the comparison to Pentecost, in which the graces are given for the militancy, the fight in the world, as it will. And there we have the analogy to what the apostles themselves. We don't explicitly know that they were baptized, but we can assume that at some point in there they went out to baptize other. Uh, Christ sent them on missions two by two. Uh, they baptized others. It seems inconceivable, inconceivable that they did not were not baptized by him. We don't know that, but we can, I think, assume that. And so everywhere in Scripture where somebody is a new believer, uh, they always say they were baptized. Paul baptized whole households. Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch in the river because there was one there. Uh, St. Paul took them down to the river at the... Uh, it wasn't at Corinth, but it was, uh, I forget the name of the town, where they had to go. There was no running water, or, or there, they had to go for running water is what they did, and they went down to the river. So the idea of baptism is clearly the start of the Christian life. The grace of confirmation, the giving of the Holy Spirit, is when the bishop, or in some cases the priest, will lay hands on the individual uh, that they will receive a refreshing and a strengthening of the Holy Spirit in their life, especially that they will live the seven, the seven virtues, the three theological virtues and the four moral virtues, or cardinal virtues, as they call, which encompass the moral life. Uh, and so the purpose of that is we, we, are, we are in battle. Certainly, I think people living today know we're in battle. Uh, and we need the strength of the Holy Spirit. We need the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. We need uh, prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude, and all of the little sub-virtues, if you will, that go with that to fight those battles. And that's what the apostles did on Pentecost and thereafter. They had the graces and the strength to go forward and to be personally strong but to make others strong as well through their uh, apostolic offices. We're going to take this opportunity to thank everybody for another great week of EWTN's Open Line. On behalf of our hosts here on Friday, Kyle and Donovan, our producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in today and all week long. Back at it again on Monday with Father John Tregilio. Until we get together then, God bless. <laughs>